In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, may be hap- may many happy returns for the um, fast of uh, the Nativity. Um, as you know, the, the fast of the Nativity is 43 days. <coughs> it's 40 days. Um, that's the 40 days that Moses went up on the mountain in order to receive the word of God, the Ten Commandments. And so we fast the same 40 days in order for us to receive the word of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ in in his birth. Um, And that's why, like one of the most uh, famous uh, melodies or hymns that we chant during Kiyak is what? The the melody of the burning bush. Because we remember Moses when he went up on the mountain and fasted for 40 days to receive the word of God. The other three days... The other three days are the three days of the moving of the mountain of the Mokattam in Egypt. And uh, the story there, as you may know, um, is that the, the ruler of Egypt um, asked the patriarch to prove his faith. And he said, you have a, um, a verse in the Bible that says if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move from here to there and the mountain should move and so if your faith is true then you should be able to move this mountain here so there was this this big mountain the Makatam mountain in like in the midst of like downtown Cairo and so the caliph the 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 ruler told the patriarch okay prove it to me move this mountain out of here and so the patriarch asked for three days of uh, fast you know three days um and during those three days, he fasted and prayed. And Virgin Mary appeared to him, and she told him that the man who would move the mountain, his name is um, Simon, and he's a tanner, and go to him, and he will move the mountain. So he went to this man, and he prayed. And as they were, the Kyrie the, the that we were just uh, praying, the 41, Lord have mercies, Every time they would say, Lord, have mercy, and they would worship to the ground, when they get up, the mountain would, would actually, you know, elevate. Um, and then when they worship again, so the mountain would move and go back down. And so they kept walking towards the mountain. And as they say, Kiri Alayson, they stand up, the mountain would move. And they say that the mountain would move high enough that they can actually see the sun from underneath the mountain. Yeah, and it wasn't just like something small. And as they kept moving, the mountain kept moving in front of them. And so the church added those three days to the fast. Um, so now the fast of the, of the nativity is 43 days. We want to talk about during the... Um, so most of this fast happens during the Coptic month of Kiak, which is the month right before the nativity. So the nativity or the, the, the Christmas feast is at the 29th of the Coptic month of Kiak. And so the whole month of Kiak, we celebrate the coming or the, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who, did, who was this incarnation made possible through? Virgin Saint Mary. And so during that month, we praise and we glorify Virgin Saint Mary for the great work of salvation that was done through her. So today we want to talk about the Kiak praises. We'll talk about the rites of the Kiak praises, but first we'll talk about praising in general and try to understand what you know what praising is. So if we start with what is praising? What is praising? And if somebody can give me a definition of what you think praising is. To exalt God, yes. Um, to praise God, to to uh, magnify Him. It's the highest form of prayer, where it, like it describes God, like j- just saying what He is. Exactly, exactly. Very simply, praising is a spirit that stands or or worships before the throne of God to do nothing but to just praise Him and to glorify Him, right? And as uh, Sharif said. This is the highest level of prayer. You know, we, we could stand in front of God and we can pray for many things. We can pray that God helps us 
at work, at school, help our families, heal the sick, um, comfort those who are in trouble. All of these are good things, but all of these are what? We are asking for something, right? They're supplications. God, please do this. God, please do that. But to stand in the prayer and only glorify God, this is the highest level of prayer. So this, this is why, like, during the midnight praises, you know, we, we notice that we don't ask for anything. During the midnight praises, we are just glorifying God. And after reaching that very high level of glorification, of praising, it's, it's customary, you find many of the people, after the, the midnight praises, they, they go and worship before the altar, and then they say their supplications. Because after having reached that level where we are, yani, we, we don't ask for anything, and we have reached the level where we are you know, so elevated in praising God, then after that, of course, anything that we ask is secondary, but we know that God is going to listen to us after having you know, gone through uh, that exercise. And praising is the work of the angels. <clears throat> As Psalm 148 says, Praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. And so this will be our work in heaven. Because when we go to heaven, we'll be just like the angels. In Revelation chapter 15, he says, Having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So this is going to be our work in heaven. <clears throat> in heaven, we're not going to have husbands and wives and children and houses and work and school. None of that, right? So what are we going to be doing? If we don't know how to praise God, then heaven is going to be very boring because that's all we are going to be doing in heaven. We are going to be in, in communion with God the whole time. So what can we do? What can we offer God? God offers us everything, right? You know, he's everything. There's nothing that we can offer him that, that he hasn't given to us. As, as the, the psalm says, you know, from your hand we have given you. Like when we give, for example, the tithe, actually we're not giving anything because God already gave us you know, everything, and so we're taking some from his hand, and we're giving it back to him from your hands we have given you. So, but in heaven, th there's not even that. So the only thing that we can offer is our praise to God, and so that will be our job in heaven. So we'll talk about the praises, you know, specifically the midnight praises, and what I like to call the ladder of praises. Where do we start, and where do we finish, and how do we kind of go up that ladder? So we start the midnight praises by the midnight prayers, right? How many, how many, the Agbeah prayers, how many watches are there in the midnight prayers? Three. Three watches. So we start with the midnight praise, uh, prayers, and we start with Tenthino, the, the hymn of Tenthino, or Arise, O Children of the Light, to praise the Lord of hosts. So that's the first thing. The first thing that we are going to do in praising God is we're going to, arise we're going to wake up we're going to leave sleep behind we're going to leave you know everything behind and we're going to focus a on you know praising god and then we start the first host the word host it's it's a coptic word it means to praise like we say host eruf praise him so we have how many praises in, in the midnight praises we have four call them the four hosts the first second third fourth Okay, so the first praise or the first host, this is the praise of Moses, and this is taken from Exodus chapter 15. If you open your Bible to Exodus chapter 15 and you compare it with the first host, it's word for word. It's just um, coming out of there. So what happened in, in, this, in this story? We know the story, right? Moses took the children of Israel out of Egypt, and then they, you know, they went as far as the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh started to pursue them, Right? And so they started to cry out to Moses, you know, help us. And so Moses struck the water, the Red Sea, and the waters parted, right? And so they started to walk through the Red Sea. And as, as the praise says, you know, a land that has never seen the sun, because this land is covered in water the whole time, a land that has never seen the sun, the sun shined upon it. And they started to walk like they made it into a highway because they walked with their kids and they walked with their 
carts and their uh, horses and their, uh, well, they didn't have horses, you know, their sheep and their goats and everything like that. It became a highway in the middle of the, of the sea. So what happened here? If he did not part the water, this water would have become what? If, if they were stuck there and Pharaoh came behind them, what is the natural thing that, that they would have done? They would go into the sea. They will try to swim. And are they going to be able to make it? No. So then this sea would have been a tomb. Right? All of them would have died. Either they would have died by Pharaoh killing them or by trying to swim and most likely not making it. So this water that is supposed to be death became life for them. So what water do we have in the church that is supposed to be death but becomes life? Baptism. In baptism, we are buried in the water. Naturally, if we take a baby and bury him in the water, what's going to happen? He's going to suffocate. He's going to die. But instead, he comes back alive, right? So this is baptism. This is death and resurrection. This is death with Christ and resurrection with Christ. And so when this happened, the people started to sing, and they said, let us sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. We finish the first host, which is baptism and we get into the second praise or the second host this is taken from psalm 136 and this is a praise of thanksgiving oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever so what are we doing now we have and first we we rose up arise O children of the light we rose up from our slumber we, we rose up from death basically right and then we walked through baptism we walked through something that should have killed us, because if we didn't get baptized, actually we would die spiritually. But we walked through the Red Sea, we escaped the enemy, and we came out to the other side alive. And so what is the natural thing that we're going to do now? We're going to give thanks to God. That's, uh, that's the second host, which is the, host of, uh, the, the praise of thanksgiving. And then we enter into the third praise, or the third host. And this is the story of the three young men in the fiery furnace. And this is, this is the praise that like, touches the lives of every single one of us. We all go through this third host, and I'll explain to you. What happened here? We know the story again, right? The king you know, erected a statue, an idol, and he said everybody must worship. The three young men who were in Babylon, they said, we are not going to worship and do whatever you want. We are only going to worship God. So he took the three young men and he threw them in the fiery furnace. And then what happened? Instead of getting burned, they were alive. And they walked through the fire. And God himself, Jesus Christ, appeared and walked with them. To the point that the king said, what? I see, the f I see, I see them walking. And the fourth with them is like the Son of God, right? The king himself said that this fourth person who's walking with him is very different. He must be, you know, the Son of God. He must be God. So the king himself believed. And so they <clears throat> if we read the story carefully, actually, it says that they walked through the fire, um, and the angel of the of the Lord, um, I think the the the, 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 the exact words, he pushed down the flames, and made a breeze. Okay, I want you to imagine this. So they are inside of an oven. So not only is it not hot and it's not harming them, but now they're walking in like an air conditioned room. It's like complete opposite of what is what is expected. That's why they were walking through the furnace, you know, as if they're like in an air-conditioned room. They're enjoying, they're, they're having a, a nice walk in the middle of, the, of this oven. So God took the affliction and he turned it into comfort. Do you, do, you, do you see the point now? We all go through life and, and we suffer affliction, all of us, every single one of us. That's why I said this praise or this hose is the life of each one of us. We all go through affliction, but if we walk with God, he takes this affliction and he turns it into comfort, just like he did with the three young men. So it says, then the three 
as, uh, as out of one mouth, like together in unison, praised, glorified, and blessed God in the furnace. Look at this. It's not that they waited until they left the furnace that they started to praise God, but they praise God while they are still in the furnace. This reminds me of the story of Jonah. I, I know all of us know the story of Jonah, right? When you read the story of Jonah, and pay attention, when did Jonah pray? Did he pray while inside the belly of the whale or after he came out? Inside. And what did he say in the prayer? He, said, he started to thank God and he said, I shall again see your holy sanctuary. So even while he's still, he hasn't been delivered yet, while he is still in the belly of the fish, he, he said, I'm going to see your temple again. The three young men started to praise while they are still in the furnace, not after they left the furnace. Saying, blessed are you, O Lord God of our fathers, and to be praised and exalted above all forever. After we finish the third host, or the third praise, we start to chant a hymn called Ten Owihin Sok, which means we follow you with all, of our, with all our heart, we fear you and seek your face. Yes, of course, if you think about it. After God delivers us from the fiery furnace, after God delivers us from this affliction, what is the natural thing to do? Is that we will follow him. If he can deliver us from the furnace, he can deliver us from anything. So no matter what happens, we follow you. We follow you with all of our heart. There's another hymn, and it's, it could be chanted anytime, but specially chanted during the month of Kiach. This is the hymn of Tenein. And the, the, the hymn says, We therefore present an offering and rational worship. We send unto you this day psalmodies of, for your glory. This hymn is a little long. It's like maybe what... Uh, it, it has like... The, the hymn itself is like three verses. Typically, we don't chant all three verses. Each verse is about maybe five minutes. So if you chant all three verses, it'll be like 15 minutes. Typically, we chant one verse or sometimes we'll chant two verses. And it has like, you know, some long notes. But if you listen to it and, and you pay attention, you find that the hymn has very, very high notes and then followed by very, very low notes. Did you notice that? Very high notes and very low notes. Why? There, nothing in the church is done haphazardly like that, even the hymns. What is, what is this? What does this look like or remind you of in reference to what we're talking about? It's the flame. It's the flame, the flame of, of the furnace that the three young men are walking in. Why does the hymn go up and down like this? To remind us that, you know, the, the, the flames of the furnace w were raised very, very high. Um, it said it was 49 cubits. I don't, I don't even, like 49 cubits is what? Like two stories or something, okay? So the flames were very, very high. It was very, very hot, but then the angel of the, of the Lord, which is the Lord himself, he came and, I, like I said, he pushed the flames down. So as the hymn goes very high to remind us of the flame, then it goes very low to remind us of the salvation that uh, the Lord accomplished. So we said the, the Midnight Praises has four praises. We talked about the first praise, which is the praise of Moses, the prophet, through the Red Sea. The second one, which is the praise of thanksgiving, and the third one, which is the three uh, young men in the fiery furnace. Before we continue, why, is, you know, why specifically those, you know, those two uh, praises, the, 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 the praise of Moses, or going through the Red Sea, and then the, 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 the fiery furnace? There's a verse that says, and I, I forgot to put the reference, we went through fire and water, and you brought us out into green pasture. This is actually the, the summary of, of the Midnight Praises, is that we go through the fire and the water. Fire is the trials, the tribulations. Water is death, right? And we said that we, you know, water here is baptism, but water is death. So we go through tribulations, and we go through death, and then we come out from on the other side. You brought us into green pasture. After we finish the third host or the third praise, we kind of take like a, a small pause before we get into the fourth host or the fourth praise. And we start the commemoration of the saints. 
The commemoration of the saints, we remember all the saints who pleased the Lord since the beginning. You know, in the, in the commemoration that we pray in the liturgy, it's a, it's a short commemoration. And the commemoration that we pray in the midnight praises, it's expounded. It's very long. We remember all the angels and all the saints and the martyrs and, and the holy men and the monks. <clears throat> and by the way, a little bit of trivia here. Maybe uh, I'll, I'll ask you and see if you can figure this out. The midnight praises, the, the tune of the midnight praises does not change throughout the year. Like the first host is chanted in the same tune throughout the year, whether it's a fast or a feast or anything. Second host, the third host. The only thing that changes is the commemoration of the saints and the doxologies. So in like Kiak, you know, the, 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 the tune is like what uh, we... Uh, we uh, with Gabriel, the angels say, like that, right? So we start to chant the commemoration like that. For example, in the, in the feasts, how do we say? Alleluia. So we say, uh, um, uh, pray to the Lord on our behalf. Da, 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 da. Changes the tune, right? Why does the commemoration change the tune? It's the only thing that changes the tune. Take a guess. The commemoration, we are remembering the saints. The saints live where? In heaven. We are on earth. Are we separate from the saints? No. We are one church, but in two locations, right? So we have the struggling church here on earth, and we have the victorious church in heaven. Wh whatever we are going through on earth, the saints are enjoying with us or celebrating with us. So when we are celebrating Kiak and we are singing joyfully, the saints are singing joyfully with us. When we are, for example, in the great fast and we are singing in like a, you know, a sad tune, they feel that, and the, so they sing with us. So the church gave us this, this indication that we are not separate from the saints, and the saints are going to be celebrating the same events with us. The doxologies, this is from the Greek word zoxa, you know, like we say zoxa patri, right? Zoxa, which means glory. So the doxologies are glorifications for the saints. Then we start the fourth host or the fourth praise, and this is the, the last three psalms, Psalm 148, 149, and 150. That's the, the, the fourth host. And here we express the state of joy of the entire creation. So every, everything in the creation praises God. We say, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the, in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, sun and moon. So the whole creation is praising God. Again, let's review. We went through water, which is death. We went through fire, which is tribulations. And we came out into green pasture. So now we are asking the entire creation to praise God with us. After we finish the fourth host, or the fourth praise, we, we start to pray the Sali. The word Sali, again, this is, um, this is actually Coptic. Sali, which means hymn. You know, the, the comes from the word uh, psalmody or psalm, right? So what did David sing on his harp? He sang psalms, Sol and he was singing songs. So there's one Sali for each day. Like there's, there's a Sali for Sunday. So when we come to the church and we attend midnight praises on Saturday night, it's the midnight praises for the next day. So we chant the Sunday Sali. If we were to do a um, you know, midnight praises, let's say, for Wednesday, so it'll be Tuesday night, so we would be chanting the Wednesday Sali. So there's one for each day. And it's organized around the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, you'll find the name of the Lord Jesus Christ repeated throughout the Sali. Like in the Sunday Sali, Oh, how beloved is your holy name, my Lord Jesus, help me. A few things about the Salis. 
you'll find that the Salis, well, you, in English you won't be able to, to yeah, need to, to uh, see this, but in Coptic it's alphabetical. So the first verse starts with alpha, the second verse starts with vita, the third verse starts with gamma, like that. This is the, the structure of all the Salis. Second thing is, as I already mentioned, it's always re related to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are praising the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Third thing and the most important thing. If you don't know how to pray, learn the Salis because they will teach you how to pray. Because in the Salis, we are repeatedly mentioning the name of the Lord Jesus. My Lord Jesus, help me. My Lord Jesus Christ, help me. So if you don't know what to say, if you don't know what to pray, learn the Salis, you'll learn how to pray. After the Sali, we reach kind of like the, you know, if, if, if like this is a ladder, so the Theotokia, this is the top of the ladder. This is like the, the uh, this is our goal. What is the Theotokia? The, you know, you've heard the word Theotokos, right? Theotokos, which means mother of God. Theo is God, Tokos is mother. So Theotokia means glorification for the mother of God. The, the, the Theotokia glorifies the Theotokos. The Theotokos is who brought us salvation, right? She brought Christ who gave us salvation. So the Theotokia always revolves around the Theotokos and the Incarnation because the Incarnation is the beginning of salvation. This is the beginning of story. The Friday Theotokia, for, and there's one for each day also, just like the Salis, so there's a, a Monday Theotokia, Tuesday Theotokia, like that. So as an example, on the Friday Theotokia, we, we pray and say, He took what is ours and gave us what is His. We praise and glorify Him and exalt Him. What is ours that He took? We say He took what is ours. What is ours? Our human nature. Our human nature. And He gave us what is His. What is His? Well can't say his divinity but yes actually yes i know this may be a little you know, difficult to comprehend but he took our human nature and he gave us his divine nature not in the not exactly in the same way so we don't become god like he is god but we become partakers of of the of the godly nature we start so if we go back all the way to the beginning, when God created Adam, he created him in his image and his likeness and his nature. And this is why we can, we can have another, maybe um, if we have another Bible study like during Kiyak, I'll, I'll, I'll do the next one about the incarnation because and, and, um, this is very important. Why did, the, why did Christ have to be incarnate and has to die and all of that you know some people say he could have just like you know said one word and adam could have been saved no he couldn't and saint athanasius explains that in his book on the incarnation of the word because adam was created according to the nature of god so he had many of the attributes of god including eternal life adam had the characteristics of God, including eternity. So if the Lord did not solve this issue, if he left Adam as he is, Adam would have lived eternally, but in a corrupt nature. You follow that? So the Lord had to be incarnate. He had to die for us in order to save Adam so that he can restore him back to his original nature. So... When he took what is ours, he took our human nature in order to restore us back to, to the divine nature, in order that we may be again back to the nature that he created us on. So now we, now we know the structure of the midnight praises. This is like the structure, you know, the regular structure, like every Sunday when we come or every Saturday night when we come. How many people attended the Kiak praises before? Okay, good. So almost everybody. So you notice that the Kiak praises are much longer, right? And there's a lot more things that are chanted. So why? What are those things and why? So we take each one of those praises that we talked about, like the first host, the second host, the third host, 
And we add a sali before the praise, and we add a melody after the praise, and we add an exposition after the melody. Okay? So that we can like further glorify the, the, the process of the incarnation and the theotokos. So we have a sali first, and then the, the actual praise, and then we have a melody, and then we have an exposition. So as an example, the first hose, there's a sali before the first hose. It starts with the Lord has reigned. So we chant that sali, and then we chant the, pr the first hose, and then there's a melody, the Lord said to Moses, and then there's an exposition which explains, you know, the, 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 the melody and explains the, the host. We may wonder why, why the exposition. Well, today we sing everything in English, so we already understand what the hymn is saying, right? But if we go back to the, to the beginning, all of these were chanted in Coptic and Greek, right? Not everybody understands Coptic and Greek. And so they had to write these expositions for the people that do not understand what they, you know what they just heard so that they can understand are we talking about a time period when egypt already speaking in arabic or before that um some so mostly yes mostly yes but even some of these expositions some of them are in coptic and that's because not everybody understood greek either right so they uh, so that's that's one that's one piece for the exposition. The other thing is it elaborates on it, right? So there could be symbolisms, you know, in, in the in the in the chants in the hoses, and then the exposition explains it clearly. Like, you know, yes, Moses st struck the the sea, and the sea represents this, and Pharaoh represents this. So it's an explanation. Another example, like the second hose. First, we chant, my heart and my tongue. I think everybody knows this chant, my heart and my tongue. So this is a sali. It's uh, the, the official terminology. It's a sali on the host. So it's a sali before the host. And then you have the host, and then you have the melody, let us praise with David. And then you have the exposition, let us sing with the hymnist David, da, 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 da. Okay? So now you understand the structure of the added things um, in the kiak, right? You have the praise. Before the praise, you have a sali. And then after the, uh, after the sali, uh, after the praise, you have a melody. And then you can read the exposition. When we pray the, the praises on, on Saturday night, we pray the Sunday Theotokeia. So we said there's a Theotokeia for every day, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The longest one is the Sunday Theotokeia. The Sunday Theotokeia has 15 parts, okay? And the Sunday Theotokeia, so each, each one of these Theotokeias, it has like a theme. The Sunday Theotokeia, the theme is the tabernacle. So everything in the tabernacle, how does it relate to the Virgin St. Mary? How is the ark likened to the Virgin St. Mary? How is the uh, table of showbread? like into the Virgin St. Mary. How's the golden lampstand? How's the golden censer? All of these things, each one of the articles. So at the beginning, the, the first few parts are like mentioning all of these articles and how they, the tabernacle was built. And then the latter parts start to explain the symbolism of all of these articles and the symbolism of the tabernacle itself to the Theotokos. Like we say, you are called righteous, O blessed one, among women, the second tabernacle. So the Virgin Mary herself is called the second tabernacle. Why? The first tabernacle, which was for the people of Israel, who was present in this tabernacle? What, does it, what, does, what did this tabernacle present to the people or give to the people? Or who, I should say? A place to pray or uh, okay but who was like whose presence was understood in the tabernacle God's God the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was always on top of the tabernacle so and and you you read in the story that whenever the pillar was lifted up then they would start to move where's this pillar the pillar was always on top of the tabernacle as long as the pillar remained on the tabernacle the people did not move as soon as the, as the pillar started to 
move or be lifted from the tabernacle, that was the sign that people started to, you know, um, put, you know, put together their stuff and, and fold their tents and start to move and journey. By the way, the tabernacle represents the presence of God, right? We agree on that. If you read, again, the, the, the story carefully, the tabernacle was built and it was situated in the midst of the, 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 uh, the, the, the congregation. So the tabernacle was in the middle and then you had three tribes on each one of the four sides of the tabernacle. So three tribes here, three here, three here, three. So God is in the midst of his people, right? When the people started to sin, when they worshipped the golden image and all of that, God told Moses, take the tabernacle outside of the camp. Because God did not want to stay among his people anymore because they, they have gone astray and you know, they, they, they were adamant in their sins. So after that, from that point forward, Moses moved the tabernacle outside of the camp. Okay, so think about that. At the beginning, God is right in the midst of us. He's very easy to, to, to access. Like, you want something, you go to the tabernacle. It's right there. You want to cry, you go to the tab. You want to pray, you, go to the, you want to offer a sacrifice. It's right there. Now, because the people have sinned to the point where they have upset God, God moved away from them. So now, if I want to go to God, I have to make an extra effort to go outside of the camp and go to the tabernacle. You get it now? So... But why is St. Mary called the second tabernacle? Because she also presented to us God, just like the first tabernacle did. They likened it to you, O Virgin Mary, the true, the true tabernacle, wherein dwelt God. It's very clear now. When we start to chant the, <coughs> the parts of the, of the Sunday Totokeia, on each one of those um, um, parts, we chant an explanation and we read a, uh, a, um, a passage from the gospel. And it's all from the gospel of, of St. Luke chapter 1. And it's two passages. They're broken over. The, the eight, we, we do this for the first um, eight parts of the Theotokia. So the bulk of it is the prophecy of Zacharias when John the Baptist was born. And then... The, the shorter piece is for the praise of St. Mary um, when she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And when we get to that part, so now remember, the Theotokia is like, like you know, the, the top of the ladder, right? We've reached our destination. This is, we've, we've been working all of this just to get to that point where we are going to praise and, and glorify the Virgin and the Incarnation. And so we start to add like many, many melodies like, the melody of Sherin Maria, the melody of O M A R Y, the melody of O Daughter of David, the melody of I Praise the Virgin, all the beautiful melodies that we really like, they're all here at the, at the end of the Otokeya. That's why people who attend Kiyak and they leave, like in the middle of it, they, and they say, oh, they didn't say that nice hymn that I like to hear. Oh, yeah, they didn't say it because it's at the end of the, of the praises and you left too early. So... Really, the, the, the most beautiful part is at the end. He who, he who stays to the end will receive, you know, the, the, the bigger portion. Why do we praise during Kiyak? This is about the question that I want us to get to. So all of this was like an introduction or, or you know, to get us to understand. Why do we praise during Kiyak? If you, you know, look at all the rites of all the churches, even the Eastern Orthodox churches, even like the Syrian Orthodox churches, None of them offer as much praise during, like, pre-Christmas as much as the, as the Coptic Church. And why do we do that? We do it for three reasons. The first reason <coughs> is we thank God for his great love. Second re reason is we glorify the incarnation and the Theotokos. Yes, we are already doing it in the Theotokia anyway, but we are even... Yeah, and he magnifying it more. And then the third one is to gain the blessings of the incarnation. So it's all around the incarnation. So we offer thanks, we glorify, and then we get the blessings. So let's take each one of these. 
to offer thanks to God for his great love. In, in Luke chapter 1, it says, Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. This is from the prophecy of Zechariah when John the Baptist was born. Through the tender mercies, God has visited us. Really, to think about it, God didn't really have to do all of that. Yes, we said that he had to do it in order to save Adam. But truly, he didn't have to save Adam, right? Adam messed up. God told him, don't do this. And Adam said, well, I'm not going to listen to you, and I'm going to do it anyway, right? <clears throat> so it, God would, would have been within his right to say, okay, fine. You know, you, I told you what the, what the punishment was going to be. You accepted, you know, you, you decided to do what's wrong anyway, so you, you take the punishment, right? God didn't have to do that. But through his tender mercies, he visited us from on high. The very famous verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Every Christian should know this verse backwards and forwards. This is the summary of the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you should, should know it like this, like it's just one word. You say it all together. I remember, um, you know, um, President Bush, he was, he was religious, right? And so a lot of times he would mention verses in his speeches. So when Clinton became president, he wanted to be like him, you know. So one time he wanted to mention a verse to look like, you know, Bush. So he said what? My favorite verse in the Bible is what? John 16:3. If actually, if you look up John 16, 3, it says what? And these things they will do to you and more because they have not neither known the Father nor me. So actually, he picked the right verse. So, in the Monday Thotokeia, we take this and, uh, you know, we, we apply it. For he, and I love this verse, for he has, for he has overcome by his compassion, it should be for he was, not for he has. For he was overcome by his compassion and sent unto us his mighty arm. And I, I, I take a moment to like just comprehend this verse. That God was overcome by his compassion. We say that God is just, but he's also merciful, right? So in his justice, he's like, Adam, you have to die, right? You messed up, so you have to take the punishment. This is, this is the, you know, the justice of God. But his mercy overcame him. He was overcome by his mercies. He couldn't, like, he couldn't stand around and see Adam perish. So he said, okay, I will take the punishment. This is like what? Um, you know, uh, a criminal was caught in the act. So he goes before the judge. And the evidence is very clear against him. There's no way. I, even he confesses and he says, yes, I, I committed the crime. Okay? But he begins to plead in front of the judge. Please give me a chance. I know I messed up. I know I did something wrong. But please give me a chance. I want a chance to, cor to correct what I've done. But there, it cannot be done. You've already messed up. So what does the judge do? He says, you are guilty. This is the justice part but I will go to prison on your behalf. This is the mercy part. I will take the punishment. He was overcome by his compassion and sent unto us his mighty arm. When we contemplate God's great love, we cannot stop ourselves from praising him. If you think about it, what he has done for us. Comprehending God's love is like trying to contain the entire ocean. Um, you may, have, you may have heard the story about St. Augustine um, when he was standing at the seashore at one time and he saw a little boy and he has a pail um, in his hand and he dug like a hole and he kept going to the, to the ocean and filling up his pail and dumping it into this hole. And he goes back and tries to take more water and dump it into the hole. So after a while, St. Augustine asked him, what are you doing? What are you trying to do here? And he said, I'm trying to 
take this whole ocean and put it into this hole. And he told him, you can't do that. And then he told him, then how are you trying to contain God into your mind? So this was a message from God to him because St. Augustine is a philosopher and he was trying to understand God to the point where he wanted to contain him. So the message there was, you can't do that. Same thing here. If we think about God's love, God's love is like the ocean. And there's no way that we can contain this love. This love is, is, is immense. So even all of the praising that we do is like just a few drops of, you know, into the ocean. Like God's love is so enormous, and we are just you know, dropping like a, a cup of water into it. But he wants us to drop that cup of water. He's happy. You know, for, for those of you who have kids, um, or, we, or you will have kids at some point, um, there is no greater joy than when your kids come to you and, and hug you and, and talk to you and ask you questions and things like that. It's something very small, but it means a lot. This is, that's what prayer is. That's what praising is. God doesn't really need it. But he likes it, and he, he awaits it. So that was the first, the first part, which is uh, <clears throat> to thank God for his love. The second point is to glorify the incarnation and the Theotokos. In 1 Timothy 3.16, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. So you know John 3.16, now you know 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. This is, this is the incarnation. That it's a mystery so great. And what is this mystery? That God was incarnate in the flesh. Can we, can we actually comprehend this? Can we comprehend how God can come into a human form? It's, it's incomprehensible. We can't understand it. But this is how great it is. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. In Colossians, St. Paul says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in him, in Christ, in the body of Christ, in this flesh, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. All the fullness of the Godhead. Think about that. Like the, the, the entire Godhead, the divinity, is in this flesh. It's great. great. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Again, it's like trying to contain the whole ocean in a bucket, right? It, trying to contain the entire Godhead into a human form. We cannot comprehend it. That's why it's a mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. How did the prophets see the incarnation? Moses saw the burning bush, right? So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Is this natural? Can we take like a tree, like the Christmas tree outside, and, and like, you know, put it on fire, and then the tree will be okay, but the fire is still there? It's not natural. Like, physically it cannot happen, chemically it cannot happen. Right? So what, how did Moses comprehend this? He actually, he didn't comprehend it very well. That's why God started to speak to him, and, and he was, like, confused. Like, what's going on here? And then the second thing that Moses saw, which was even greater than the burning bush, was the burning mountain. That's when he went up to receive the Ten Commandments. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. It was so great that the people of Israel were afraid to even touch the mountain, like even to come near it. I, and and this, is, this is really, <laughs> this is a mystery, right? The same people who saw this mountain rumbling and, and fire and smoke and were afraid of it, and they knew God was in the mountain, when Moses delayed, what did they do? They worshipped the word. They, they, they made a god out of gold and they worshipped it. Like, how? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, the mountain is right there. You saw it yesterday. 
the, the, the mountain was on fire, right? God is right there. And, and you turn around and, and you say, oh, Israel, this is your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. It, it doesn't make any sense. If Moses did not understand the incarnation when he saw the burning bush, he understood it when he saw the burning mountain. Maybe the bush, maybe he, he said, maybe I didn't see it very well. Maybe like some people say, there was some kind of, you know, uh, geyser or something behind it and uh, it was an illusion or whatever, right? Okay, even if, the, even if that's true, you cannot have an illusion about an entire mountain, an entire mountain burning, right? And he was in the mountain, right? Moses was in the mountain. So this is great as the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. When God descended on the mountain, the mountain burned. So how did he descend in the womb of Virgin Mary and not burn her? This is a mystery. King David, <clears throat> he says what? He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. Again, very mysterious. He brought down heaven to us. Why? Where is, what is heaven? Heaven is the throne of God. Wherever God is, that's where heaven is. If God is on earth, then earth is heaven, right? It's like, you know, the president, whenever he rides a plane, that plane is what? Air Force One, right? Doesn't matter that if it's Air Force One or not, but if he's on a plane, that's the first plane, right? So wherever God is, that's where heaven is. So if God is up there, then that's heaven. If God comes down, then that's heaven. If God is in the fiery furnace, like with the three young men, guess what? That's heaven. That's why they were happy. He took what is ours and gave us what is his. We praise him and glorify him and exalt him forever. Isaiah the prophet. I'm just giving you some, you know, examples. He said what? Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. Is the valley high or low? The valley is low and the mountain is high. But here he says what? It's the opposite. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain shall be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. The incarnation, like, upset the natural, um, you know, the, 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 the upset nature. Like, everything was changed, right? Because it's a very unnatural thing. It's a very great thing that God comes from heaven to earth, and he's incarnate in the womb of Virgin Mary. The prophets, through all of this, they barely understood the greatness of the incarnation. So again, how did God dwell in Virgin St. Mary? And how was she able to contain the Godhead? This is incomprehensible. When we contemplate on this, we find ourselves glorifying God.